This is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast. The Modern Architect features one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. Our show informs and illuminates the transformation that architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. And now, introducing the host of The Modern Architect, Tom Dioro. For our guest today, we're honored to welcome Anthony Massaro, architect and founder of Mars Hill Studio Incorporated. Tony specializes in commercial, residential, and church design and build. For more information, feel free to visit the website at MarsHillStudio.com. Again, that's MarsHillStudio.com. Today's episode is made possible by Swatchbox, the leading sample platform for architects and designers. Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. We're really honored to have you. Thanks for having me. Tony, we'd like to start our show off with, uh, uh, if you have a quote or a prayer or a mantra that you you either use or that really matters to you personally or professionally, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, you know, um, I would say my favorite author is G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he's a Christian author from early 20th century, kind of wrote... Um, both philosophy and history and um, a lot of Christian work. Anyway, he's got a saying and that I, I've try, I try to use it with my kids here too and uh, try to make it a part of life. But basically he says, here, I'll, I'll read it so I don't screw it up. So it's like, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. And an inconvenience is only an adventure wrongly considered. And I think it really, it, it's, it's a good way of going through lives. And there's life, there's lots of things we do or don't want to do or meetings I'll not want to go to or things that I think are going to be an inconvenience. And then when you really think of them, no, that, that, that's actually an adventure. You know, if you, if, you, if you consider your inconveniences rightly, they turn out to be adventures. Yeah. How did that become a really a mean so much to you, that, that, that mindset? You know, in life, you running a business and having a family and doing things, you, you, you have this vision of how great it is going to be to have an office or be an architect or whatever it is you're going to do. And then the realities of life hit come, the realities of life just become present and you have to do things you don't want to do. And I think it's really from that stemming from taking things you don't want to do or things you think are going to be difficult or think you think things you think are going to be inconvenient. And then if you just have the right perspective about them, and it, it's really helpful. I just imagine when I have meetings or things that I don't want to do or city meetings I have to do, meeting with jurisdictions or planners or plan checkers, and you, you go in there thinking this is going to be a drag. And But with the right perspective, you end up, you know, you, you're with people and the things Things don't always turn out the way you plan. Now, with that, can you share an example or a recent example of uh, you putting that into practice? Um, yeah, so recently, I, I do a wide range of projects. Everything from, I've done some nice church projects and schools, all the way down to 
the smallest of remodels. And I haven't done really a lot of remodels. That's kind of where I got started. But so recently I had a client that I, I hadn't done anything for in 10 years. And I've been working on some, uh, been pretty busy working on some large projects. And it really was, hey, you know, I just, our, our bathroom flooded and we re need to rework our bathroom. We've got this terrible situation. And it was really, part of me felt like, oh, you know, I don't have time to do this, or this is going to be an annoyance. I've, I've, I really have bigger and better things to be involved with. And as it turned out, I said, you know, I want to, I know this person, I know them for years. I want to honor them. They have a need and I have a specific service I can offer and I can solve the problem for them. So be kind of grudgingly went down there said, well, you know, I'll do what I have to do. And it turned out being the greatest meeting and it was a great um, time to get reconnected with them. And, you know, just with a couple of couple of moves architecturally, you know, you do, you've been space planning long enough that you're able to really manipulate things and taking a small space and we were able to solve their problem. So I felt like that was a real inconvenience of a project, but ended up becoming a blessing for someone just because having done this for so many years and being able to solve a problem as simple as, you know, modifying a bathroom or retweaking a couple of bedrooms. So it's a pretty, um, pretty small project, kind of the lowest of the projects you can almost get. And yet it t turned out to be, it turned out to be a great day. That's terrific. Now, what inspired you to be a, an architect? You know, pretty much when I can remember is basically it stems back from it was junior high going from junior high to high school. And they brought the high school counselors and various things. And um, one of the presentations was on drafting. And I was initially hooked. I thought, that's what I want to try. I want to try drafting. That sounds like a lot of fun. So I started high school in ninth grade, um, enjoyed the drafting class felt like I had some aptitude. And then by the time my sophomore year in high school, by the end of the school year, they I had um, my teacher had arranged for me to work at a small architectural firm. So since I was 15, I've been working at architectural firms and I've and pretty much knew from then on that, that that's what I wanted to do. I did take a few detours along the way, but um, yeah, I was hooked on architecture in high school. And how was that played into your practice now it, it, actually let, let's rephrase it that insp early inspiration it seems to be there's a still sense of newness with you and your projects how do you keep that sense of newness and uh, curiosity how about this for a bit of a detour so i had a great start in high school doing architecture then figured, okay, I'm going to go straight on to the university, went to University of Florida, or started the University of Florida. And I kind of, um, at that point, got really interested in music. And I was playing the guitar. And, you know, fast forward a few years, I lost my interest in college and ended up moving out to L.A. to, to be in a band and have a, have a musical career. And so the, kind of the way that ties in is I've always, and writing music and doing architecture are, all, are pretty much the same thing as far as I'm concerned, as far as the process and experience. Oh. And so there's always a newness in a sense of there's just the love of design. There's love of uh, conceiving a project and then working through it, being excited about it in the beginning, and then working through the details and, and seeing it through. So the, the freshness is just from just having an idea and then seeing it get built. 
Yeah, what's that like for you when you actually do have that idea and then see it be built according to you, not just your vision, but the owner's vision, and uh, when you both step back and go, wow, remember this was, this was on a proverbial napkin? Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember I, years ago, I took, um, I went to Arizona and I went to uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's Taliesin West, and the the person giving the presentation it said a line that really struck me and what they basically what she said was like Frank Lloyd Wright he built his ideas and I remember thinking like yeah that that's something else and having an idea and having it built and so specifically to your question it's just it's an amazing uh, blessing and privilege and you know we all have ideas that you, you we have a building or we have an idea we want to see it conceived. And obviously some come come out better than others for various reasons. Boy, but when you really hit on a project and you sit back and look at it with the client, it, it, it it's for me the ultimate gift and blessing that, that very few people have, and especially architects, because you're you're kind of creators. And it, it's almost reminiscent, you know, you, you think in Genesis and God he creates the heavens and the earth and the and and he looks at it and says it is good and so and obviously in the proper perspective an architect looking at a project and stepping back and saying wow this 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 turned out good and again i'm a pretty harsh critic and i i wish i could say that of all the projects and all the detailing and everything and 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 i think other architects would also appreciate that's not always the case but boy when it hits and it works out. It's it's just a great feeling, and and more than a great feeling, it's just a privilege. Yeah, I like how you you mentioned that it's a privilege. This is the Modern Architect, KZSU Stanford ninety point one FM. We're talking today with Anthony Massaro. Tony is an architect and founder of Mars Hill Studio Incorporated. For more information, feel free to visit his website at marshillstudio.com. Again, that's Mars Hill Studio. Dot com. Tony, if you're at liberty to do so, can you share with us some of your uh, recent projects? Yeah. Um, so the obviously, as I mentioned, I've done various uh, faith-based projects and schools and residences. I would say um, one of the, the uh, a more successful recent project was the it was a, a Mariner's Christian School, which is a, a K through eight. And um, it was, I've been involved with this school. I've, been, I've known these guys and we've done various remodels and adding skylights here and there. And, and finally they felt like they really wanted to really remake the school. And it was, it, it was built in 90 in a warehouse. And in fact, they built the second story classrooms within an existing mezzanine. So they had exterior walls and there were no windows upstairs. So it was a, it's a great school. It's a good Christian school, great teachers, great program. But the facility was dismal. And the first thing they had said was, well, we've got, um, you know, they did the studies and it, it doesn't take a, a rocket science to know that uh, having natural light is a better environment to be a student rather than just four walls. And so here they have this large um, 80,000 square foot shell, plus obviously it goes over 100 by the time we do the second floor, and it's dark. And so the first thing they're saying, well, how can we get classrooms? So we actually cut giant holes in two of them and created these atrium courtyards in the center with trees and natural light. And we surrounded classrooms around there. And so it, um, it, it, it you know, it's 
explaining the concept and really getting people on board because they have to do fundraising, obviously, and really take the chance to, um, to, to, to let the donors and the parents know that they're trying to reshape this facility. So um, we were able to, we did all the 3D graphics, 3D graphics even built a computer model a fly through and they were able to catch the vision. And so um, in addition to getting the skylights and retooling the inside, you know, we, we had a little bit of room in the front setbacks and, and I explained to them, I said, hey, when you, when you build, when you build a um, remodel portion on the outer portion of an existing building, by definition, you get a new facade. So we were able to um, completely reshape this from, a, again, a dismal 1990s concrete tilt-up building in Southern California to what really looks like a, a, a custom facility. And so it, it's gone well. So we finished up, uh, I think, 2019, 2020, and it's, it's been going great. Uh, your faith-based projects, what uh, either inspired or how did you uh, get involved in, in uh, numerous projects of, uh, of yeah. faith? Yeah, well, it's a pretty undramatic story. So um, I've worked in firms and you know, just went out on my own in, in 1999. And at the time I was involved with the church, our church, um, and I actually was on the elder board. And so the church, we you know rented various places and finally got large enough to get a facility. And kind of, it was as simple as, oh, hey, Tony, you're an architect. <laughs> you know, why don't you help us with the project? And so that was for Rock yeah. Harbor Church. And we, we ended up, this was 2005, but that was basically the first project I did. I've kind of backed into it because they needed an architect and I was able to help them space plan. So it was a, we did a small facade remodel, but it was mostly a really interesting um, interior uh, tenant improvement. And um, what happened was, you know, it's a church, pretty low budget. And we were trying to really create a high level of design on a low budget. So we modeled the project after there's a, um, a similar project um, in Costa Mesa. It's called the Lab Anti-Mall. And what's interesting about the Lab Anti-Mall is it's kind of a deconstructionist, you know, broken concrete. But they used raw materials, raw wood, just trims with just kind of four by fours or pressure treated lumber, just really open materials. And so I... Um, uh, talked to the church and I said, hey, here's what we can do because we have a limited budget and we did a lot of the interior um, finishes with volunteers. I said, let's let's use these rough materials. Let's, let, let's have something that's really um, earthy and touchable and, and something that you can draw near to, but let's Let's create high design. Let's create um, rather than a deconstructionist. You know, if, if you look at the way that the temple was created or Solomon's temple, there's order and there's right proportion. And, and even if you go back and you look at the the golden mean and the kind of the right, the, the proper proportions, there really is something to that. And, and and we all, whether actively or passively, know that. So we, I was able to create a design using high order and organization, but still. The, 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 these um, really materials, stamped metal and, you know, large heavy timbers bolted to the wall that you could, you, you're not afraid to go in and touch. So it ended up, it, it came out um, pretty good. And then from there, you know, people visit the church and then you get one call and then another and it just kind of blossomed off of that. Yeah, there are, on your website, I've seen they're quite inspirational and I, and I notice there's a lot, an awful lot of there's 
a lot of light that comes in through, although the designs are different and the styles are different, but I noticed the common theme of them is light. Is that by design? Well, it, it's, it is interesting. Of, of course, obviously there's the, you know, the faith based and you, you want to have a, a facility and obviously God is light, etc. What's fascinating is, and a lot of church planners will tell you this, or at least in Southern California, the day of the community church in the middle of the neighborhood is no longer. There's parking issues and nobody wants a church near their house. And other than churches that were built back 40, 50, 60 years ago, it's difficult to get a church in, in town. So typically what ends up happening is these churches are put in res, in industrial zones because you have large buildings. And we could typically take a type three building with heavy timber roof and, and, and transition that to, to an assembly occupancy fairly reasonably. So, and, and then also with all the parking they do in the industrial area, there's nobody there on the weekends. And so it's easier to find parking. So with that said, we tend to work with a lot of warehouses and so we're constantly struggling with, um, you know, how do, how do we get natural light in there? Or what, what can we do to make this an environment that doesn't feel like a dark, dingy um, a- atmosphere? And so uh, wh- where we can use clear stories and where we can bring skylights, we do. But as it's turning out in, in the church world, the you look at um, however many 500 a thousand years ago the the drama of of the cathedral was the stained glass and the color and mm-hmm. what's happening now is and I'm not necessarily sure it's my favorite way of doing it but this is kind of what's happening the light and the drama is coming via technology and so we have more and more churches that want, let's say the back wall where the pastor rather than the you know you look at saint peter's or you look at any of these great uh, churches or even even smaller churches or or the mission churches you know behind the stage behind the 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 pulpit you've got the cross and you've got the whole back wall now the, the churches want blank walls so they can do an led wall and then do a presentation whatever with color etc um with technology so it it's a it's a it's a bit of a a kind of a a, there's some tension there let's just say that but i was able to do one one of the projects uh on my website is the chapel at mariners who really did want a traditional um a, a traditional chapel and that project was specifically the program was hey we want um what looks like a traditional chapel you know with the steeple and the tower but fast forwarded to the 2000s and so that i mean we we did that project back in 2008 and so that was the program how do we get something that that looks like a traditional with lots of light but kind of still feels modern so that was a great opportunity to have something where we really got a chance to do lots of glazing but it is interesting again in the church world nowadays it's become far more technology driven and you know almost you know sometimes we push back in terms of trying to give them more than just a black box where they can um you know just just have it all done with lights and video fascinating this is the modern architect kzsu stanford 90.1 fm we're talking today with anthony massaro architect and founder of mars hill studio incorporate our uh public service announcement for today's show is for the uh, breakfast at the crossings the new life is hosting breakfast at the crossings a ministry to those experiencing homelessness 
in collaboration with the Crossing Church in Costa Mesa, California. For more information, simply go to uh, Facebook and Breakfast at the Crossing, New Life in Irvine. Again, we're here with uh, Anthony Macero. Tony, Tony, can you share with us a link between music and architecture in your experience? Um, yeah, you know, it's as, and there's lots, I'm not the only uh, musician architect, I'm sure there's <laughs> probably the vast majority of them sitting out there, uh, architects know, of, of course, there's a link. And I've always, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge Frank Lloyd Wright fan, and he was fascinated and talked about playing Beethoven and his buildings were symphonies, et cetera, et cetera. But it really is the process, the process of conception and to execution and just just the idea of rhythm, pattern, scale. Um, and uh, the I, I have this quote, again, it's, it's from, I don't think that uh, Frank Lloyd Wright came up with it, but basically, um, you know, a symphony is an edifice of sound. And so if you really imagine an edifice of sound, so you can go into a symphony and this or any great piece of music and you really enter it, right? And you can kind of walk around and mm -hmm. experience it and it kind of, um, it exerts an influence on you and you're immersed in it. So think about it. You go into a great building, you go into a cathedral or any great building that, that really has that sense of space and drama. And the, the phrase I use, it just exerts an influence on you. It makes you feel a certain way. And so think about your favorite song, whether it's melancholy or you're, you're listen to something hard or you're listening to something grand a symphony that music the composer goes in with the specific intent to I, i'm trying to exert an influence on you i want you to feel a certain way with this piece of music and when it's done right it just it has a dramatic um effect on people and that's kind of the 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 great thing about some of the faith-based projects and i would say especially that the mariner's chapel where people come in and say yeah you know i, I go in there i really feel the presence of God, and um, I, I really feel like there, there's something about it, and th that's that sense of uh, kind of what we talked about before, of like looking back and saying, "Wow, this is good," or "This is such a great privilege," because you have this idea of exerting an influence on someone and making them feel a certain way by being a part of that space, and then when it actually happens, it's kind of it, 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 it's pretty, pretty overwhelming. And so that's the thing with music. It's just, you know, it's patterns and you're, you just, you basically, obviously what God makes us creators as in we're, God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. We create out of just reshaping and reusing um, things that are already part of the creation. And what's interesting is for the music. So you think about the architect, he's using he's using stone and timber and iron and these are all items that come out of the ground but it's just the reshaping it it's the individual person and how they're blessed and how they're creative and they it's their information and their ideas that they kind of craft and shape those raw materials and i always joke it's like well for the musician i you know i've got, I've got the same same 12 tones that uh, bach had right or the the, the same major scale that uh, Mozart used, anybody can have access to those, but the real question is how do you arrange them and how do you develop patterns and what's your vision and what are you trying to do with those? And so, again, to me, that's where the tie-in, it really is, it's really the, the, the same basic materials and that an architect has his set of materials 
and the musician has his set of materials and then it's basically arranging those and, and taking those things and out of an idea, out of kind of nothing, out of thin air and, and making it into something. I love that exert an influence. Is, is, a, is there a headset or mindset or a, an essence that you go into each project with that you want to accomplish or is it in combination obviously with, with the owners? Yeah, you know, it's kind of, um, I'll, so I, I'm a musician, so I I'll write original music, and so basically as I write original music, it's just my style, right? And I have a specific style, I come from a progressive hard rock background, and I know what I like, and I play my music, and it's a hobby, and I do it for fun, and so I'm not working for a client, so if you will, I have my style. But for architecture, I do have the same, if you will, a style that really is closest to my heart. And if I was just doing a building from scratch the way I wanted to do it, I have a, I ha have a, a version of that. And if you go on my website, I, I've done two of my own houses and they're on there. And so I have projects that I would say, oh yeah, that looks like my style. But as the, the idea when it comes to architecture, it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm hired. It, it's a privilege and blessing to be hired by someone and they want... Uh, they, they want me or they want the architect to help develop a building and a structure for them. So therefore, not all projects are what I would want. So my mindset is coming is, well, how can I serve the client? How can I give the client um, the, the project that they need that works for them? And so that's more of the mindset in terms of what, how am I going to achieve or what, what's the vision we're going to be here? Really, at the, at the end of the day, I want, a, I want a happy client. And the successful project is a project that meets all the city codes and uh, accessibility and all those needs. I feel like it meets the architect needs that I, I was able to create, do something creative and aesthetic. And then ultimately it, needs, it meets the needs of the, the owner, that it's, it's not the architect exerting their will on the owner. And I, I, it, it's amazing how many projects I've come into where it will be, you know, I asked the last architect five times, but he just wouldn't do that for me. And I scratch my head thinking like, well, unless there's a compelling reason why it shouldn't happen, you know, it's, it's your project, it's your, you're the developer, it's your money, we, you should be able to get the project you want. And obviously, as architect, we're guiding them along and keeping them from making mistakes. And um, so I'm, I'm constantly aware of that. And so, for example, I, on the, the first project uh, on my website that comes up, it's, um, it's for Vanguard University, and it's a um, Spanish colonial building. Right. So it's modeled mm -hmm. after the Santa Barbara courthouse. And the reason we did that is that the campus, we're in Southern California and has it has a theme of Mediterranean Spanish colonial revival architecture. And that they their original building was a a very bad 1970s version of Spanish colonial architecture. And, and anyone who's who's spent any time in Southern California can see the wide array of authentic style from that era and really bad knockoffs and this this building was a bad knockoff and I said listen this is your campus you, if you want a timeless building and you want a building that really feels like it's your front door and it makes a statement for the university this is my recommendation we, we, we're not going to try to remake this campus into a modern architecture we we've got UC Irvine and there's Stanford and those are really cool campuses with lots of really mm -hmm. good buildings I said you know what you're a small college you, you've already you have a couple of buildings that are already of the Spanish colonial 
then we go ahead and keep that theme. So the idea for that one was, how do we how do we make the most out of this building? And so we turned that into, again, modeled it after the um, Santa Barbara courthouse to give them a timeless. And I give you that story to say that even though I feel like I have my own style and things that are near and dear to my heart, this particular building was what the client needed. And I use the same in that going back to the music analogy. You know, there's guys that are really good blues players, right? Eric Clapton or Stevie Ray Vaughan, they play the blues. I don't play the blues. I'm not really, I enjoy listening to it moderately, but I'm not a blues player. The blues don't speak to me personally. But if I was hired, if someone hired me as a musician and say, play the blues, I wouldn't try to force them on my style, I would say, all right, I'll be the best blues player I can be. And so that's the, that's the analogy for the, for the architecture. It's whatever the style, if, if they want a craftsman or they want Spanish colonial or whatever it is they want, we'll do that. It's, it's not about me exerting my, my vision on them. So, but we do want to exert the influence in the sense of, well, if you ask for Spanish colonial, we're, we're going to make this the best Spanish colonial we can possibly do. If you want a, a, a monumental kind of front door building that really sets the tone for the university, well, that's what we're going to build. So that, that, that's, separate, that's exerting the influence, but that's, I feel like, doing it in, in a proper way that serves and honors the client, not serving and honor the, the architect's ego. Yeah, that building is outstanding well done, Tony, really. Well, thank you. The Vanguard, it's absolutely gorgeous. And you, you hit it right on. It's so authentic and uh, and it's really great. So that's great work for our audience. I know it's a plug, but it's a true one. What would you like to share that we haven't uh, touched on, uh, Tony, in your show today before we close out? Um, that, 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 that's a good question. I, I would say from... Um, like what's such a blessing about being an architect is it really is a privilege to serve others. And, you know, I know it's so cliche, but you never stop learning, but it really, I, I do more architectural research and just viewing buildings in various um, means and methods. And so that for me, it's kind of like it, it never gets old. And when I meet young people, um, I tell them, that we're thinking about, you know, oh, you're an architect. Hey, I think I want to be an architect. I'm not sure. I just tell them, you could take one building arts or one architectural history course in school and you'll get bit by the bug. And if you're not bit by that bug, then it's like, well, maybe that's not what you're cut out to do. Mm -hmm. And so that for me, it's like you just never start stop learning. And there's so many amazing, talented architects and there's so many people just kind of doing cutting edge things. And it's just, you know, and it's just, it's just a privilege to be part of that community. Well, Tony, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you as our guest today. Thank you very much. No, well, thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Anthony Massaro, architect and founder of Mars Hill Studio Incorporated. Tony's architecture and planning firm specializes in residential, commercial, as well as churches, and is located in Costa Mesa, California. For more information, feel free to visit MarsHillStudio.com. Again, MarsHillStudio.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. Thank you.
Today's episode is made possible by Swatchbox, the leading sample platform for architects and designers. Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com.